Hello and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Davis and Benjamin Halden. So that one was a very pleasant yeah, that was introduction pleasant. today. Today we are doing an episode on eating disorders due to it being eating disorder week this week. I know this is something and a topic we spoke about quite a few times, but I think it's important that we reiterate that fact and we continue to talk about it so that people have someone to be relatable to, people have some information about it. And I think it's important that it's continued to be talked about, especially on online, on social media, on podcasts, on content, so that people can find out more information about it and be better educated and better, even if you're not struggling with yourself, be better at spotting an eating disorder as well. Yeah, this is the thing with eating disorders. We're not actually allowed to advise. And this is really, really important to know. And if anyone is giving you advice about an eating disorder, please, please do make sure they are qualified to do so. Myself and Ben are currently in the midst of getting our eating disorder qualifications because you need a whole separate qualification to actually advise people. We can share stats raise awareness and we get, we are going to tell you our experiences but in terms of getting actual advice you do need to seek professional help yeah I think that's important to know like again today we're just talking about our experience and and just wanted to share some stats with you and, and open up some some debates on on eating disorders to help again raise the awareness this week also if it looks like I've ironed, I don't know if you can see my t-shirt that well you can see it on the YouTube pretty clearly don't be a dick to yourself. Don't be, I wasn't even going to say that. I was going to say it looks like I've ironed it with a brick. It's because I've just taken it out the pack. <laughs> but that's a good plug as well. So these Funny. t-shirts will be on sale soon. Again, it's just t-shirts that we use to, to catapult our phrase of don't be a dick to yourself. And I think it's going to be quite relevant today when we are talking about certain eating habits. And it's just a philosophy that we live by in regards to if you are doing something, whether it be work, fitness, training, eating, whatever it may be, just standing back sometimes and saying, am I being addict to myself it's just like that push or that nudge that you might sometimes need to think do you know what I don't need to do this yeah it just allows that second opinion I guess it allows you to come out of your body and look at yourself it was a late one today. that's actually really rude um I'm gonna dive in with actually the definition of an eating disorder because I think this is really important for people to know now, it is known to be a symptom or a product of an underpinning emotional or psychological problem, also known to be a group of related conditions. An eating disorder manifests itself from emotional and psychological states, and it is actually also classed as a mental health issue, which I didn't actually realize, but it just heightens how important talking about eating disorders are. And with eating disorders, they've been classed as the slimmer's disease, which I believe has a really, really negative con- connotation. Is that one of the definitions, of it? The one of the definitions from what from the course that we've been doing is the slimmer's disease, and I just think that comes across really negatively. I don't know why. Why would it want to be referred to as that? I think that's a, that's a very strange description to give it. Yeah, no, I do massively. Slimmer's disease. I don't. Disease. I don't agree with it. But it was, it's in our coursework, which oh. I think is quite... I might be having words there. Uh. Yeah. Well, you can be very open when you actually answer your questions, so we can always point out saying we don't, we don't think that's appropriate. Slim disease. It's um, like saying like sort of other stuff, it's a fat people disease. Yeah. It's obesity, it's a fat people disease. Yeah, horrible. I don't agree with that. No, yeah, I it's don't like sure. sh- It's like shaming people. Yeah, massively. And with eating disorders, the effects that they actually have on 
a sufferer's life is absolutely immense. And the first one is obviously you're so controlled by food. You're planning what to eat, where to eat, when to eat. Is it possible to avoid social situations? It really does affect people's lives. And I guess in a lockdown as well, it might have affected it in different ways. Obviously, we haven't been able to socialize as much. However, you're constantly near your kitchen. Yeah, well, I'm actually going to give you a stat on this now. Oh, go on. Obviously, we know the lockdown kicked off first in 2020, yeah? Mm-hmm. In 2020, there was a 66% increase in eating disorder hospital admissions. 66% increase. Oh my God. So even when COVID was happening, people could still get into hospital. Because yeah. there was a massive issue with that, wasn't there, with hospital beds being full? They were admitting themselves, yeah. So obviously with all the things that are... Co- That's why when people have been obviously going back and forth, what is lockdown good for us? When do we need to come out of lockdown? The, the big driver behind that was people's mental health. And we know, yeah. as we just discussed, it, it's a mental health disorder. And it's obviously massively affected people because people's routines have been thrown out, people are anxious, people are stressed, people are nervous, people have got access to food all the time, people are bored, people aren't um, doing the things that they usually do in the day, which will keep their mind off food. And I think people are using food as a, as a comfort or, or the opposite, people are maybe overeating and then undereating, which you know is the big thing for a lot of people. And I think from speaking to people on social media is one of the, the, the biggest issues. Yeah, well, this is the thing as well. Obviously, the definition there even states it's an emotional and psychological, and that's how it manifests itself in people. So obviously, the lockdown in general, I, for one, have definitely struggled with my emotions. Like, I've gone back to see a therapist. So you can imagine how heightened people's emotions have been which probably correlates to that 66 percent exactly was it 66 percent? i think 66%. it's just a crazy number 66 percent increase yeah it is ridiculously high i just want to run through some more stats as well and again these aren't to scare people i think it's just again to raise the awareness of i suppose how severe eating disorders and maybe how we don't even realize how severe they are and how the numbers are creeping up and creeping up so one of the, the the stats that I pulled up for the discussion of the podcast was that 70 million people are suffering with an eating disorder worldwide. 70 million. And females are more likely to mm. to kind of suffer from an eating disorder. But 20, guys usually make up 25%, I think the stat was, of the total number of people who suffer with eating disorders. The thing that I found when I posted on social media about it before, and the feedback that I got quite a lot is, like people found it so refreshing that I posted about it and said that not enough guys talk about it. Which is true, I don't think yeah. they do. And maybe that's why the number's actually lower. Because it's underreporting. Because it's underreporting. Yeah, that's That's obviously show, not actually. a fact. I don't know if that's true, no, but no, to imagine right. it. Yeah. It's the same with mental health with guys. There's always the stats seems lower, but I 100% think the stats would be equal if everyone opened up. I think that's a big... I didn't talk about mine for like a year to a year and a half. I was the same though. So if you think about how many people probably suffer and don't talk about it, so it is underreported. It's probably a very valid point. Yeah, definitely. But it, it's from the facts. It seems like females are maybe more susceptible to it. I don't know that. That's, I don't know. If this is me being. I wouldn't say I'm being sexist. I don't, would you? A lot of people class females as more emotional beings, and I think we we are naturally with our hormones. Mm-hmm. G- genuinely, we are emotional beings. Like I say, I, I cry a lot of the time. You don't. <laughs> Yeah, we do true. though. We 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 tend to overthink things. We worry about things. I I do believe that we are more emotional. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. I think 
the other stat as well, and this just follows on from the 70 million, is that when we're focusing on the UK, because that's obviously the country we reside in, apologies, that's bare thing. That's very disgusting. I mean, I'm drinking a gassy drink, babe, let me live. It's the, this one point, between 1.25 million and 3.4 million people in the UK are affected by the disorder, which, mm-hmm. considering we're such a small country, it's a lot of people. And it's also the third most chronic common illness. So it, it, is it, it classed as a, a chronic illness? So what I mean by that is like it, it can often start, like like we were discussing yesterday, it can small, start like very mild, mm. but then it has the ability to become chronic yeah. fairly quickly. Yeah, definitely. Which is what happened with me. So we're going to go into our experience of eating or eating disorders a little bit later. Um, but I think that's an important one to note. And one in 20 people will be affected by an eating disorder in, in some time in their life. It's like one in 20 people. That's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And just this last one, this is I think this is the one that hit hard home to me this morning. I've already told you about this one. Because there's a lot of research that has shown that eating disorders has one of the highest mortality rates of any mental health disorder. So listen to this one. Someone dies from an eating disorder every sixty two minutes. That's so heavy. Every sixty two minutes. So by the time we finish this podcast, there'll be someone else who's dead from an eating disorder. I just, yeah. It's it's a horrible start. It makes me feel uneasy. From And I think the thing that gets it for me is because food's supposed to be like a satiating thing. It's supposed to be a social thing. It's supposed to be an enjoyable thing. It's supposed to be pleasurable. And people are getting, people's eating habits are getting that bad. And obviously we, have, we don't know where the influence for that a lot of people come from because it comes from all different areas of life. But people are suffering that badly with it that they're just taking their own life from it. Yeah. Which is which is horrible because, like you said, th- this idea that food is so painful to think about. It is. It's it for for eating disorder sufferers. It's freaking painful. It's it's jarring. It's annoying. It's frustrating. I think it's the, upsetting. The most thing is annoying. I remember when I was going through it, it was the most annoying thing possible. Yeah, definitely. I actually just wanted to give some examples of eating disorders because there are many forms of eating disorders and they're really different. And it's actually, this is quite a weird one because I think sometimes people don't know what is actually classed as an eating disorder. But just to give you some examples, you have anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, food avoidance emotional disorder, Selective eating and food fads, pervasive refusal syndrome, compulsive overeating, and binge eating. Now, from the ones that I've just listed, anorexia nervosa and bulimia and compulsive overeating are the most common ones. But I also believe that binge eating is very common, unless that is classed as compulsive overeating. It's weird because we had this discussion the other day when we were talking about that coursework that we're doing. And a book that I'll talk a little bit more about later called Brain Over Binge. I think it was with bulimia. bulimia. Yeah, with bulimia. She said, the woman who wrote the book said, you can't have bulimia without binge eating. Mm. But then you were trying to, you said something like... Yeah, I think that's a really weird one because I did have bulimia without binge eating. It started with binge eating for like the first year but because it became so obsessive, I was throwing up any food I ate, which is still 
bulimia. That's not that's not just throwing up food for the fun of it. That was I got so nervous about mm. eating my porridge, eating anything that was carbs. Yeah. I would I would throw them up. It, it is it is a really confusing one because I would disagree with that because I I was bulimic. I wasn't throwing up food for Do you fun. What she means if it started binge eating, no, because that's where your start. Yeah, one hundred percent my start. I didn't just start by throwing up my oats. It, it definitely started with binge eating, significantly eating thousands of calories in a short period of time. I think that's where I've watched a couple of lectures on it from um, a couple of people who were speaking from Harvard, and they they were saying it was one of the most common forms that people spill into first before they go into. Um, other, dis- other disorders and that's why I wanted to touch on binge eating a little bit more now and kind of give people a more definitive answer of what is classified as it because I think a lot of people get confused with what is overeating because we all overeat sometimes like we overeat at the weekend um, and then there's a difference with binge eating so just another stat to, to spit out here again according to NHS 4% of men and 6% of women report engaging in binge eating and binge eating is Binge eating disorder involves regularly eating large portions of food all at once until you feel uncomfortably full and then often upset or guilty afterwards. So again, this can maybe differ to overeating because I've overeat before and I don't feel guilty and bad for it. Yeah. You feel a bit bloated. Yeah. And also it's kind of like when we had loads of food on Saturday, we had like a date night, didn't we? We had wine, we had bread and butter pudding sticky toffee pudding I'm massive pasta bon- <laughs> i love bread and butter pudding you i think it's so things, though, you know like we yeah, have but- something and then it's like oh let's have it every single week no i want something different i want sticky toffee yeah but I, my issue pie. is when i know i like something i don't want to stray away from that and accidentally get something that i don't, don't enjoy. fear the unknown it's true i did try sticky toffee pudding this weekend though and i had to bin it because it was so sickly didn't i yeah and i strayed away and and just to, to move on, binges are often planned in advance and the person may buy special binge foods mm-hmm. that they crave to then binge on. And women, men and women of any age can get binge eating disorder, but it typically tends to start in the late teens or early 20s. I'm guessing that's where it started for you. Yeah, I was late teens. I think, uh, I, was, I think I was 20, actually. No, I wasn't. I was 18. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and then... Just some of the symptoms of, of binge eating disorders are the main symptom of binge eating disorder being, again, eating very large portions in a short period of time and you often feel out of control. Um, I think there was a stat to do with it. it was if you, I think it was if you ate like, four, I don't know if it was 40% or I'm making this number up. Again, if anyone's watching the YouTube video and has the correct answer, please feel free to drop it in the comments. But I think it was like eating 40% of your daily calories in, in one serving. Yeah, which it's, could be classified as yeah as that. something substantial, isn't it? But um, again, eating very fast is a, is a symptom. Eat, eating until you're uncomfortably full, so you have like no control over when you stop and eating. Eating when you're not hungry. Um, eating alone or um, secretly is often um, quite a big one. Yeah, one of the things as well is a lot of people actually find it difficult to stop binging, even if they want to. So they can be eating the food. And people have described it as you're feeling disconnected from what you're actually doing during the binge or you struggle to remember what you've eaten after. So it's kind of like you come out of yourself and you, you it's like subconscious I think, in a way. Mm, I think the feeling that follows it is the big one as well. Like feeling ashamed, feeling disgusted, yeah. feeling guilty. Um, following the episode is a big one as well. Yeah, and I actually have, it's not a stat, but it's just a few uh, figures that binge eating disorder can cause weight gain and can also lead to high blood pressure, high cholesterol and type 2 diabetes and um, and heart disease. 
And obviously what comes hand in hand is that is low self-esteem. You you lack quite a lot of confidence and then depression and anxiety, which I think is all round for all eating disorders. Well, I'll just touch on, I'll add to that as well in regards to the body image that you just mentioned because there's a stat that showed 70% of women withdraw from their day-to-day activities due to their body image. Withdrawal? What do like they won't do their, their daily oh, okay. activities because yeah, they feel yeah. like self-conscious, they don't feel body confident. So they won't do, even whether that be work-based, social-based, training-based, whatever it may be, they'll withdraw from their activities because they don't feel confident in the body. Isn't that crazy though? Like how much 70%. your physical body can, can affect, affect your emotional state and can yeah. affect your mindset. And we've both been there. But that's why it's important to, to know that exactly the same with like your training goals, your health and fitness goals. You need to find a, a process that you're happy with and not just an end place because you'll never get to that end place where you feel like I'm there now and I can feel confident. You need to start building confidence as you go and run along the way. And I think that's vitally important because you'll always otherwise be chasing this never-ending horizon. Yeah, 100%. And just before we go into our experiences, I just wanted to touch on a few causes of actual eating disorders. And there can be a lot of causes. These are obviously just ones that are pretty common. So the first one is the effect of the media or social media and it still has that it's not as strong I don't believe it's as strong but that idealistic perfection body to be skinny and a lot of the time the slimness affects young girls and how they want to be accepted secondly peer pressure at school or work or online bullying or or in-person bullying if you're if you're being bullied in high school and then for women they can be affected and have problems before menopause or after they've actually had a baby as well. It can affect them. And then not only women of all ages are affected, boys and men make up approximately, well, this, I don't understand this actually, said approximately 1% of the current known figures. What but do you mean? It just says 1% of the current known figures, which is forever rising, but it's definitely more than 1%. Of the total population? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I might ignore that stat, but the common route for boys and men is through playing sports or having obsessive behaviors with the need to keep fit, which triggers disorderly eating. So they think they need to be like these macho guys or super fit, or they have to be in in sport. Yeah, which triggers these disorderly patterns. And then the final one is just trauma as a child for both boys and girls, such as physical, mental emotional or sexual abuse and also confusion over sexuality can cause eating disorders so it could have stemmed from a childhood trauma yeah i, I, um, I just thought that I one was important to one. know i remember well, again we'll move into therapy and cbt shortly but that's one of the things that my therapist spoke to about was the the child trauma route and if there's any issues with that there's you can split those down to four categories because i had those in my notes as well and I think just to reiterate the fact that it's not always to do with social learning, it's not always to do with um, circumstances in life, it can be, sorry, down to genetics as well. Yeah. So this research suggests that binge eating may have a strong genetic component, so it may be passed down and hereditary. So I think I that's a weird thing because I, I guess like happens. if we had kids, don't start jumping out to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, they have tendencies because we've, had those tendencies before and been but through. it's so weird though because my parents don't and my grandparents it's not don't. saying that you will definitely happen it's just saying that it can it be, could be there is research that suggests that it can be down to genetic makeup as well but the, and then there's the, the 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 second category can be family history 
So you're much more likely to develop an eating disorder if someone in your immediate family has an eating disorder as well. That's so interesting. Is any of your family? Um, again, like None of my, my mum and dad would have never, I don't think would have spoke about it if they had when they were younger anyway. I think for a lot of people as well, until more recently, people, and that's the reason why we're talking about today, don't really understand what an eating disorder is or don't know what classifies as it because I had it for like two years and I didn't know. Yeah, but also do you think it's more common now? I can't imagine when my mum was my age, she was worrying about I think that's, that. I don't think you can say that. Cause I think, no, but I think it's more common now because of social media. Whereas when my mum was 18, but I think, they didn't have like Instagram or Facebook or... But could you say that now because of social media and because we have other outlets to communicate that more people are now speaking about it where it just used to be suppressed and that's why we get more numbers yeah, and more, more stats, stats because it's more reported exactly the same i know this is completely different mm. by the way but like with covid like in the very early stages there just wasn't enough there for us to be able to test or get the data and now because we have more people who are reporting it more access to um report it and we can we can measure stuff and have better metrics that now we can see the numbers more clearly this is actually a really interesting stat for you from the course there was a question which stated who identified bulimia as being a distinct type of eating disorder and when. So bulimia was identified as an eating disorder in 1979 by a physician named Russell. This is 109 years after anorexia was named in 1870. Bulimia. So anorexia was named an eating disorder in 1870 and bulimia was named in 1979. 1979. Yeah, the, I think the anorexia one. I think the bulimia one, one though, but a lot of people don't know that they have bulimia. Because I, just to, before we dive into it. You don't know that you have binge eating. No, I didn't know that I had bulimia. Yeah, you had non-purge. That's, I'm going to go into that. P- but people that won't know the yeah, difference yeah, of what yeah. that means. Yeah. No, I just thought, actually, I forgot to pull that stat up before and I thought it was so interesting. And like from the 17th century, people... It, it was more of like a religious thing back then because women used to wear corsets and they didn't actually know it was classed as an eating disorder. But I feel like that is so yeah, early physiological, on. physiological conditions and like you've been through dieting and body issues are a big one. I know you said, especially for women, that the body issues are a big one. So listen to this. This is, this stat is crazy. 73% of female characters in children's cartoons are depicted as underweight Children's cartoons. So it's like with Disney princesses. Yeah, so if you look at like Disney princesses, if you look at, it was the one called like Betty Boop. Yeah, Some tiny waist. Because they have this tiny, tiny little waist of like a big bum and big boobs. And that's like another form of mass media, like causing a problem and skewing reality and creating unhealthy weight control and eating disorders. Disorder eating. Yeah, all Disney princesses had so the you, tiniest waist. So you've grown up just seeing that all the time. And this is this kind of goes back on that thing where we were talking about in the other episode where we were talking about the Cosmo um, front cover and, yeah. and um, fat shaming and should we be like talking about obesity more? And that fat doctor was talking about we need more... Don't you say more fat superheroes or more fat idols? I don't think we should be calling them fat idols because I don't think we should be glorifying obesity. But I think having a variety of like shaped characters in people's cartoons so that kids don't just see one idealistic of what people should should look like and then they feel bad when they don't look like especially with extremes like that in cartoons which just paint a reality which just is is not true yeah do you know actually the one cartoon that didn't do that was the simpsons yeah like homer had like a you, beer it more, belly it's more relatable to it. i think that's why that's people what i mean them. though i think from what i can remember homer had a beer belly 
no none of the guys there was probably like one of them who was like a macho guy but who was that macho guy i can't remember but you know what i mean like whereas when you look at like other cartoons or like disney films the guys are these macho um these figures who a lot of young boys again would look up to i don't think it's only young girls would look up to these tiny disney princesses it's the same with boys as well and obviously from what we said before a lot of causes come from this this need for boys to want to be macho and yeah i think that's why shrek's good though yeah because she goes from being a princess to the ogre and then that's what it's all about it's about her personality and like what she's like as a person shrek's great and he he what's he turn into he turns like a he turns into the prince yeah and the donkey turns into like a stallion but then they go back to normal stallion baby (laughs) (laughs) it is great shrek it's like one of my dad's favorite films as well but that's just another again like we have social media we have the mass media who calls and stuff but I think like when you look at stuff like that of characters, even in kids' sketches and cartoons, they're like growing up, like looking at it and watching that kind of mm-hmm. thing and don't know anything different. And yeah, although, it's a sub- although it's like a, a subconscious message, it's something that they're going to pick up on. Yeah, 100%. So I reckon we dive into our own experiences. Well, just, just before we dive into that, I just want to quickly touch on like dieting and our role as like fitness professionals mm-hmm. or... Uh, or like the fitness industry responsibilities in general, like what their impact that has had and what we, what maybe I'm going to ask you some questions of what you believe our roles is or what the fitness industry's role is in, in regards to eating disorders as well. Because this is something I've, this is a stat I mentioned in previous podcasts and I think this is really important for people who are starting, if they're going into a weight loss journey and dieting, the National Eating Disorder Association reports that 35% of normal dieters, so when you first start dieting, progress into pathological dieting and that 20 to 25 percent of those individuals then develop eating disorders yeah it's ridiculous so it's it's also like as a fitness professional you want to avoid that do you know what i mean like that's how i see that though it's obviously like a gateway that is opening people up to potential harm and i think like as fitness professionals and as the fitness industry we've got to be there to guide people better for when they're going into these diets and protocols and that's why we spoke about them many times and we did the rapid fat loss one last week which i think was great episode by the way because it was telling people who this isn't isn't for i don't think we should be before wasn't it it was before sorry yeah and um we shouldn't be bashing any types of diet and and this is why no diet can be for the same person because it's so varied they're so different people with disordered eating shouldn't be following diets in general in in my eyes and we can't bash diets because they are relevant to certain small portions of the population and everyone's so different with dieting but we need more guidance and there needs to be more help needs to be more support with stuff because again as we know people don't really struggle with weight loss people will generally lose weight the struggle comes when it comes to maintaining it yeah, and maintaining that process. And that's where we need to be supporting people better when it comes to dieting and trying to find what works for them. And focusing on other health markers as well, not just the, the, the weight loss. There's so much on social media though, in the fitness industry. Like you think how saturated it is now compared to what it was two years ago. I can kind of understand how people do get so lost with diet and nutrition yeah because i think what's important is yeah you can follow loads of fitness people and all this on social media but also for your own sake do be careful who you follow and who you take advice off Mm -hmm. i think more importantly the one is 
who do you choose to take advice off? I think that was a big thing for me because I was coached by people and I followed people who were giving me misinformation and I was giving yeah. that misinformation to other people. It's and like the, a catalyst, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with getting stuff wrong, by the way, as long as you're willing to admit it. Like, I've got stuff wrong before. Yeah. I've learned from stuff. And that's why you, you should always continuously be looking to educate or re-educate yourself on, like, common practices. And I think the big thing that we need to realise within the fitness industry, we're not there to help people out of these eating disorders because that's there for professionals who are qualified to do so. But we do have a massive role to play in when those people are, we're the first point of call when they're coming into the fitness industry. So we need to be better educated on it and guiding these people down the right path so that they can sustain a healthy lifestyle and don't go down that road of, of disorder eating because I think it's it's very easy to pick one way or the other and get to, get too extreme and caught up with stuff. Yeah, I agree. So I think that's having that all role. I think as fitness professionals, it's to make sure that people are guided and, and have this proper support to continue with their journey and make it sustainable in the in the long run. Yeah, and also feel like they can speak to us about it, even if we're yeah, yeah, not 100%. advising. Just even if they dropped a message to someone, then like for example, myself or Ben or whoever you dropped a message to could say, "Okay, I think you need to seek professional help." I've, done, I've had that loads of times, by the way. But the thing that's great about social media is because I've put like posts up before and then people DM. I, I always put at the end of the, the eating disorder posts or where I've talked about it, feel free to DM me. And I always get loads of DMs off the back of it, which is sad sometimes. But then you can point them people in the right direction of where they need to be. Well, it's the same thing, like same but different with my moles. For example, like sharing yeah. online, I had so many messages of people being like, I've gone to get mine checked and I actually need them removed. Yeah. Yeah, so no, it, it, just, is, it, helps, it just shows how people. social media yeah, can be 100%. powerful. I think the thing that's weird though, and we spoke about this yesterday, it might be the day before, is when you are posting about eating disorders sometimes and how the content can get blocked. I've done a couple of YouTube videos and some of them haven't, there's not been nothing to do with eating disorders and they've just been blocked by YouTube or they've been um, demonetized or they've, which is fine by the way, you're not looking to make money off it, but for it to be not pushed out to an audience for more people to see and be able to relate to, I think it's weird. Yeah. So last March, I posted my Bulimia YouTube video and it's the first time I've ever done it. And with YouTube, um, when you get to a certain stage, you monetize your videos. And this one flagged up. So I sent a request. Like you can send a manual request to, for them to check over it. And the title was just my experience with an eating disorder and how I put on 24 pounds. And it got flagged and then it got blocked and the reason it got blocked is it, it was um it was in the same category as terrorism wow so that the reason my youtube video got blocked is because it was in the same category as terrorism and i tried to fight this but it goes to a certain extent like you can't I, it, it was mind-blowing because i was like i'm trying to share something to help people and it just creates more of a stigma because you don't want to you don't want to share it i think that's the problem is that that sort of thing is happening there obviously isn't enough measures in place to properly see what's involved in that video they've probably just seen keywords and got no blocked yeah i i do understand that sometimes images of eating disorders can be distressing i think it's it's also though like if people are given misinformation about they're probably more worried about that than people giving information which you can kind of see the point behind but there obviously just needs to be better measures in place because some people are putting out stuff which is going to help people and help people relate and probably probably save some people's lives at the end of the day yeah definitely obviously valuable content but yeah that will have been why it was blocked in case there was misinformation shared or if there was an image for example that was seen to be 
harmful. Yeah, I think, again, just another thing to touch about the fitness industry. I think when it comes to, we know body image and body confidence um, and awareness is, is a massive factor when it comes to eating disorders. And I think as a fitness industry, we have skewed what is deemed as fit and healthy in a lot of ways for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's, I think that's getting better recently. But I think, like, people look at, like, um, bodybuilders on stages, especially female bodybuilders who, to a certain degree, are almost just, a lot of them probably standing up there. I know because I've, com- I've had conversations with some of them before. I trained anorexics. Yeah. They, they, they've, they're suffering, like, deep down. They're just training through it to be able to stand on stage for a medal. Well, I remember um, you saying to me, you used to look at pictures of food oh, to satisfy me, yeah. your cravings. I was like, that's that's not normal behavior. For me though, that's why I knew I didn't want to do bodybuilding. Yeah. I did my first show. I think that's where my disordered eating started and I didn't even realize. And that when I was like, that was when I was 19 or 20. So many moons ago. So when I did my first show, I... That was 10 years ago. Okay, how are you telling me my age? No, but I, I'm just saying how long has that been? Yeah, you. I know. That's what I mean. It's been a process of ten years. Sorry, I didn't mean to out you there. I was just adding it up in my just head. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think the good thing was when I was at that stage, I was on high calorie intake, so I was yeah. cutting on like three thousand calories. So my actual relationship with food was pretty good. It was just the foods that were in my diet plan was so restrictive in regards to them just being boring, like proper bro. I was like, I just want a fucking burger. I want a pop tart or on some skittles you know so i just i was just something that was satiating yeah there wasn't any balance and that's why i had like i had the ultimate porn hub of white chocolate saved on my google hard drive i had about 200 pictures of white chocolate at the time i was like that's not weird sound like yeah i was just like that's just a thing and then i had that thing of what a lot of people do after shows where they have this basket or i had a booth full of just chocolate ready to demolish straight after I went to Mackey's, I smashed a load of chocolate in. And no joke, I've never ate so much in my whole life. I went from, I finished the show at, I don't know, about 4 p.m., which was a body power. Drove back from Birmingham, stopped at Mackey's, and then, further, it's only two hours away, by the way. Then we stopped again further down the line at KFC. Then we got home, had a tub of Ben & Jerry's, had like shitload of chocolate, shitload of sweets. And then I had more ice cream when I got in. I went to, drove back around to McDonald's, got McFlurry. I had a full box of cocoa pops and I had some pop tarts had some cheese got up the next morning went straight to Mackey's again and got um a double sausage and egg McMuffin times two um and then a Basically few bits. a lot of food yeah and then I had like some lunch I went to Asda got a load of milkshakes all that stuff in like the bakery session and then I had a Chinese at night within like within 24 hours I think I put on 16 pounds obviously that was all like all the food, the Magi trap, all the water, all the glycogen. But how unhealthy is that, by the way? Like, I was craving mm. stuff that bad. And most, like, that high well, percentage people of make people do bodybuilding. Specifically for, like, There's Instagram show. pages for post show binges. I really do think times have changed since that. I do. I really think that's not a healthy way to view food, and especially as well for women. Like, I feel like you just relapse and you just completely yeah. just I'd, not. I'd you wouldn't know the process of reverse dieting and doing it correctly. Obviously, if you've got a great coach, that is ideal because they can guide you. They know when you can pull back. I don't want to help people here, but I'm going to help people anyway. There's pages like Bikini Bakers and shit like that, or whatever they're called on Instagram, yeah. who are making like care packages for people to binge on post-show. Yeah. 
And although it doesn't say that, that's exactly what it fucking is. It is. I've I've said from the start, well, probably like the past three years, I would never coach someone who wants to compete. Fair enough, if that's your goal, that's not a problem. I just can't coach a girl to be such a low body fat percentage and lose her period. I don't think I've ever coached anyone who's done competitive no. bodybuilding. But I'm more than happy to say, look, I'm not in, I can't coach you to do that. You'll have I've to find another people coach. Onto other people because which is fine for us to do. It's not, it's nothing, it's not what, by the way, what we do. There's nothing wrong with body, bodybuilding as long as you do it in a way which is 100%. healthy. You can pull back from it. You know, like how to bring your metabolic rate back up and do things healthy and know that's a stage sure. and you can't yeah. always stay that lean because I think that's the other thing once people reach that level of body fat they don't want to put it back on they're really scared to put the fat back on like a great example is Ryan he is amazing he's very good by, he's so laid back and chilled about that's competing what I by mean. the way he's so he's great at it and he's yeah. sustainable and it's that's why he's one of the best in the world though as yeah, well yeah for sure do you know what I mean though he has to be that good you have to doing. have that mindset to be able to switch back and forth between conditions and know when to pull back and when to to put the pedal down a little bit because you can't always be fucking full throttle all the time yeah. that's where a lot of people burn out of it and again going back to this I think this is where we've skewed perception of what what is fit and healthy in the industry by just saying this is what you need to look like this is what you need to be bodybuilding shredded abs blah blah and we've skewed what health and fitness is for years and this is where people pick up on disorderly in and the rule of what we have in regards to eating disorders now is very, very different, I believe. And I think there's, I seem to see more and more of it at the moment. And again, I think there's no surprise with that, especially when we looked over those stats of the admission rates going up by 66% yeah. to hospitals. It's going to, it's going to get more and more. And I think we'll, I think we'll see more uh, repercussions of what is still going on now in lockdown three in the future of this year and the year after that. I think it's going to get worse. Yeah, I do as well, which is why it's important that we do raise awareness for it. And I'm not going to go massively into my experience because we spoke about it a lot. Yeah, I think we it's important that we talk a lot though because there'll be a lot yeah. of people who are new to the podcast who maybe haven't heard episodes before and haven't heard us talk about it as much. So obviously feel free to talk about it as much or as little as detail as you want. Yeah, I basically developed an eating disorder when I quit swimming when I was 18. So... For those of you that are new, I used to swim for GB. I used to swim internationally. It was my whole life. I was a swimmer. I quit in May when I was 18. And by August, I was so far deep in bulimia. Mine obviously stemmed quite heavily from swimming. I was very small. I was pretty underweight. My body fat was super low. This wasn't a massive issue. However, I was weighed pretty much every day before and after every session. My body fats were done, yeah, to measure your hydration. So if you'd lost weight, it means you were dehydrated. Yeah, weird. We used to have our we tested so that we weren't dehydrated. Um, So we were drinking enough fluid, which is fine. Doing that is pretty normal in sport. We used to have our body fats measured from the ages of about 15 so we had like skin calipers done from the age of 15. It was just really intense, which competitive sport is 1000%. But then when I came out of the swimming bubble, after eating like 3000 calories at the age of like 16, because I did so much, I trained nine times a week. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I wanted to keep this really skinny frame that I had from swimming Obviously, moving from nine times a week swimming, 
I then transferred this straight to the gym and I was going to the gym nine times a week. I was doing fasted cardio. I was doing this, doing that, trying to stay really skinny. And this is basically what triggered the binges because I was being so restrictive in the day. I was probably having like 800 to 1,000 calories in the day. Bear in mind, I was at uni. Is so I was living on my own. Probably like 800 to 1,000 in the day. Is that all for the whole day? That's all you were eating? The whole day, yeah. Bear in mind, now I eat like 2,100. Yeah. And it'd get to like the end of the day. I'd go to the shop or I'd or from the bus back from uni, I'd stop off at Sainsbury's and I'd get like packs of cookies, sweets, chocolate. I used to have like loads of croissants and stuff as well. Like I used to just get like weird stuff. I used to just go straight into my room and just eat it all in one. And then that's when I started to throw it up. The first thing that I threw up was a Domino's pizza, which is just why now I don't, yeah, I don't so agree with Domino's pizza. You can't, you can't I can't really it. eat pizza anymore just because it brings back a lot of emotional trauma for me. Except when we were in Rome, they had really nice, classic, thin crust pizzas, which were great. It was really light, Anything yeah. like a Domino's or a Papa John's, I would just rather not. And that's what triggered it for me. And How did you feel that first time that happened? Confused. Yeah. I was like actually probably the first thing I was like well that was actually easier than I expected so for me it was easy to throw up which probably made it worse because I was then doing it probably three or four times a week for a good six or seven months the thing is with bulimia as well though you still put on weight so it's a really hard cycle because Mm. you eat food and then you throw it back up because you want to be skinny. However, you've obviously still absorbed that food and you've had a hell of a lot of calories. You've had like, I used to have like over a thousand calories yeah. in one sitting. So I did start to put weight on. There was a stage where I lost loads, but then I did start to put weight on, which made it even worse. But then when I created my Lucy Davis fit page to stay accountable, that really helped me. I then got my PT qualifications. That really helped me. And then I educated myself so much on bulimia and I kind of scared myself because I was reading the death stats. Like I genuinely just did. I, I read the worst things about bulimia to try and scare myself. I'm sure you wouldn't mind me mentioning this as well because I know you spoke to me about it before with the thing that when you went to the dentist as well. Yeah, that was a really bad one. I went to the dentist, it was in like first year of uni and... She was like, do you have a lot of fruit in your diet or sweets? I was like, no, like I eat so healthy. I'm really, really healthy. She was like, the back of all your teeth has, I don't know, it's like all the um, like acid. It's like yeah, burned away just, your yeah. uh, thing. And I went, oh yeah, I'm bulimic. And she was like, right, you're, you're ruining your teeth. Because obviously when you top, are making your sick chest, so yeah. much, there's acid yeah. that you're throwing back up and it gets really bad for your stomach. So it's probably why in the long term I did have stomach problems. A lot of acid in your stomach, your acid throat. all in my throat, along my teeth. You always had a sore throat. So there was always these problems. And I, I'd say I was bulimic for like two and a half years. But it was the first year that was I was doing it quite consistently. Second year wasn't as bad. And then I started to really just like fade away. I think you've touched on an important point there that a lot of people think with eating disorders think it's like a light switch that will just go stop. Oh no. And it's not it's a it's a scaling process of doing like maybe once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, and then it it'll slowly fizzle out. And I think the the I got caught on a bit as well is that 
you might go like a month and not happen and that happens again you're like oh starting all over again it's not yeah it's, it's, not. Ju- it's just a relapse best, yeah it's like a relapse and i think it's best to work out on like a law of averages of like when the last time it happened wasn't how many times it's happened maybe in the last six months and then you go okay do you know what on average it started happening less yeah well i remember obviously when i first met you i had to tell you because i still had those tendencies i met you when i was 20 so that's four years ago now yeah and I had those tendencies because it was when I obviously left you in Liverpool and I was getting the train back yeah. home. I'd really, really get those tendencies where I'd binge. So I'd buy food at the train station, eat it on the train. I wasn't always sick. I, I, like, I was getting out of that habit, but I would still binge. And that was emotional because I didn't want to leave Ben. So that was hard because I had to share it with Ben. But now what it's been like six years mm-hmm. I, pro- I haven't probably done it in two years year and a half yeah, you've, you've done so really i would well. say i'm fully completely recovered if you don't do something in like the past two years and i don't even have the thought process now i th- which is a massive thing if you are bulimic i don't have the thought process of i could be sick i just sit there with my full little belly and i'm just like i feel great which is a massive thing. I can happily say and confidently say I have a fucking great relationship with I think that'll give people who are listening today probably a lot of hope there as well because there will be people who listen to this one and be like, I just feel like it's never going to end. Yeah, you do feel like that though at the time. You feel so trapped and you feel, you can't be arsed with it anymore. Yeah, that's you what get it is. So, it's so draining like mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. But um, take the floor. Yeah, if, if anyone's got any questions that anyone wants to ask, especially if you're watching on YouTube, just feel free to drop them in the comments and we will mm-hmm. try and get back to them because I think this is an important topic for us to to talk about um, and talk with people about as well. Um, so I'm just going to dive into my experience. My experience may be a little bit longer and there's certain things that I've noticed when, since even we've just been talking about this podcast that I didn't even realise about my previous past with eating disorders. So number one, I think mine probably kicked off, no joke, probably te- I didn't even realise this, it probably kicked off 10 years ago with that first bodybuilding show where I had those really bad tendencies and then from there, I used to have like that thing of like, oh, let's have a cheat meal, like fucking bro shit. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, when we first met, and do you I'd, remember? I'd, I'd, but that's what I mean about pre-planning foods that you're going to have. I would buy so much stuff from Asda and Tesco and have it stockpiled ready for a Saturday. Mm-hmm. And although you don't think there's anything wrong with that because we see people like The Rock doing it, we see these bro people doing it, we see people on YouTube doing it, we think, oh, it's just normal that you do that as part of bodybuilding, that'll just smash the shit out of 10,000 calories on a Saturday. No. <laughs> It's gonna, yeah. it's gonna bring unhealthy relationships with food in the long term. That's what happened with me. I didn't even realize it at first. We used to when we, I first met you. It was we, disgusting. We, we used to have like six to eight thousand calories for in no a reason. I just keep pushing it because you, you know why I do it because I feel like the next day Sunday, right? This is I won't be able to eat this type of food until next Saturday again. So I best get as much of it in as possible. Yeah, our mindset has really changed. Yeah, about that. that was about four years ago now. The other thing was as well that I did during that show period of when I was bodybuilding because I didn't want to eat the foods well sorry I wanted to have more satiating foods that weren't in the diet I'd like I'd be in the kitchen I'd bite stuff nibble it a little bit and spit it in the bin yeah which is really bad for you as well is that is that classed as an eating disorder is that just a really bad I eating habit I saw someone talking about I think it is classed as an eating I'm not I'm 100% sure on that one by the way um, so I, I couldn't say but I just knew it wasn't particularly a healthy habit to be indulging in um and then do you know what this is the part i've just thought about now is that i used to 
work at a different company. So this is when I first started meeting you. And I think this is where like emotionally and stress eating comes from. I used to go into a job um, once once a week um, before I started doing the stuff that I'm doing now. And every week I used to binge eat on a Wednesday night because I knew it'd be that place on the Thursday morning where I was working. And I was quite stressed about working there. And every day I used to, I used to hate Thursdays. Hate Thursdays because I go into work feeling sick, feeling full, feeling guilty, feeling bad because I'd binge it the night before. Um, I didn't really think it was an eating disorder then I just thought I'd binged yeah um, so I think that's where probably like I think my my tendency has been deeper rooted over years but I think it really came to to light and fruition um, in 2019 it is a distorted eating it is mm-hmm. has it got a name it says chew and spit eating disorder okay but it's quite heavily related to people with bulimia so instead of throwing up you used to spit food out okay mm-hmm. um i think my eating disorder really came to light when i did that extreme cutting period before we went to australia in 2019 yeah and that's where God, it really 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 that. badly kicked off for me so mine went from binge eating um on the weekends and stuff and whatever else um and being hard on myself and i think it it all kind of came from a place that i wanted to get as diced and ripped as possible because of comparing myself to other people within the fitness industry and thought I need to be this level. I need to withhold this this level. And then this is the problem with like where social media comes in and we have all these people now that we can see who are like hybrids of absolute genetic freakism that we compare ourselves to. Um, and it's more accessible to us. So we tend to do that comparison thing more and more, which puts more pressure on ourselves to look a certain way, which yeah. is just isn't healthy. And that's where I think mine stemmed from. So I was cutting drastically, trying to cut weight, trying to get as lean as possible. I was, on, I was on lower calories than Lucy. Um, I was on really low calories day in, day out. I was training five or six times a week. I was doing cardio four or five times a week. And I was in this, I was, I, although I wasn't binge eating in a day, I was putting myself in this place where eventually something had to give. Because that, it's that balance. And when you tip the balance one way, there's always going to be a pushback from somewhere else. And with the cardio, bear in mind, you were doing about five sessions a week for like an hour. Well, yeah, but that was because I'll tell you why I was doing that. Um, and I remember the fir- first time it happened, I started, this is where my journey with NES started. And for those who don't know what NES is, it's nighttime eating syndrome. So basically with NES, what happens is that it's almost like you're unconscious. So it's almost like you're sleepwalking. And I was getting up in the middle of the night, usually around two or three o'clock. And I'd just come upstairs or downstairs into the kitchen. And I would just plow through like a thousand calories worth of food and then go back to bed. Mm. and sometimes like I, di- I kind of didn't even really know that I'd done it and it was happening like maybe w- once twice a week and then sometimes it was happening three times a week and obviously at this point I'm trying to cut to go on holiday so I was like just distraught by it because I felt like I'm doing everything else that I can within my means but then I'm getting this bounce back all the time of an evening and sometimes I'd wake up like in the morning and my throat had been bleeding or I'd have blood in my mouth because with NES, you're not really like consuming stuff properly. You're not eating the foods properly. You are literally just slamming stuff back as fast as you can and not even chewing stuff because you're trying to just inhale food. Um, so that is where like mine started getting really bad. Um, I was doing it like once a week, then it was happening two times a week. And this was probably going, this probably happened for like all of 2019. And then the reason why I was then doing that much cardio is because I was trying to count up what, what I'd eaten the day before and I'd try and burn it off then with cardio. So I know you were talking about with bulimia, sometimes people put on weight because they've been sick and then trying to get up. With 
this part of bulimia and I didn't even know I had bulimia at this point because I didn't know what non-purge bulimia was. So non-purge bulimia is where you not you don't make yourself sick, but you use exercise to burn off the calories. So you use exercise as punishment to, to re-burn those calories. That's what I, was, I was still in great shape because any calories I'd burn the day before, I'd just jump back on the Stairmaster or back on the treadmill to burn those calories off. So I was still getting rid of them. And it was so such an unhealthy habit. I remember like on some Saturday mornings, where I'd get up and I'd got on the, the, the Stairmaster and gone through 800 calories. It used to be so frustrating as well for me because I was like, you don't need to be doing that. I should have stopped I should have stopped the cuttings thing there and then, but I was, too, I was so obsessed with being a certain shape. Mm. I'd put anything aside to and try and be there. I ended up being in the gym for like three hours and I was like, you're, you're joking. Mm. Because I, cause we, we travel together... We ended up sometimes going in separate cars mm. because you you were like I'm doing I hate an hour, it though, you I'm know, doing an hour cardio. Hate hated being in the gym, hated doing cardio, hated my health and fitness journey at that point. I hated the relationship I had to food. I just couldn't stop it though. Mm. I was in this vicious cycle of wanting to be leaner, and then this thing was happening at night that I couldn't stop and I couldn't control. It was hard as well because you could see how much it significantly affected your mood and how yeah. you actually were as a person. You were so down. Yeah. Like, you were really, really down. Yeah. I just felt, like, ashamed and guilty all the time. And I just didn't really know what it was. I didn't know how to stop it. And I think it got to that point then. It kept happening in 2020 when we went into lockdown one. Yeah. Is really where it hit me even harder. Because it was still continuing to happen. I didn't have the gym. So I was training at home with a dumbbell and a kettlebell. Mm-hmm. didn't have like access to do cardio and stuff but I was still doing like running so I'd try and run stuff off sometimes I'd, I'd be doing like running every day and it got to that point for me where I was like I was so fed up with it I was so ashamed of it I was just like I was so annoying as well like I just yeah. wanted it to stop more than anything and I just felt like I had no control over it because it was just happening at night time like people have the same uncontrollable feelings of binge eating but I got to a point I remember this exactly because i remember getting up one morning after it happening and i was sitting at the end of your bed and I was just, this was the first time it happened and i was just like i just don't want to even be alive anymore yeah i just i honestly that was the first time i thought i'd just rather die yeah it's heavy that i don't like listening to that it's actually just fucking depressing you saying that if, if, that was the point for me though i was just like yeah, it's heavy. It's it just shows how much eating disorders have an effect on you. I just couldn't at that point. I just I couldn't see any way out. It'd been happening for over a year, like eighteen months, and I just I just I I just felt like I tried everything. Like at this point as well, like I'd been I'd been to like GPs, like I was I was doing stuff as well, and this happened in Australia. I was stealing people's food. And from like the fridge and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or like when we've been in your house, yeah. I'd eat other people's food. Yeah. And I think I I think I because I've so, been to the GP, and the GP was just like, "Oh, just change your diet." That's like saying telling someone who's anxious to be like, "Don't feel anxious." Well, that's fucking brilliant advice. Like, and I'd been to the GP about two or three times who did next enough and this isn't all gps fault because i think like some doctors and gps don't 
have enough education in the first place. But these are the people you're supposed to be able to go to to confide in, who are then going to educate you. And they just there's just no advice there whatsoever. And I think medical doctors' misunderstanding of eating disorders makes people's eating disorders worse. Yeah, it definitely. made mine worse because I felt like I had nothing else to turn to. Yeah, and I think, and again, this is something that when I posted stuff about eating disorders before. I've had people who've reached out to me and said, well, I'm, I've been struggling for like a year, I've been doing this and doing that. I feel like I'm at the worst place I've ever been with it. I've been to my GP and they've said that I'm not skinny enough to be able to be referred to a therapist. Like, I'm not skinny enough yet. So what, you're supposed to be a way to the point where you're about to wither away and fucking die until you get the, the help and support that you need. But also that's a stupid comment because uh, eating disorder doesn't have a body type. Like that girl yeah, but, but I think there must be, I don't know what it is. I think there must be like with anorexia, whatever it may be, there must be a point where like, I, you go for your height, weight and sex, you are now on the way to the point where we'll be classified. And, so, and this is the thing. What yeah, but that's just, that, that should just be for anorexia. That, do you know what I mean? Like if you're anorexic and they get to a certain weight for their height, they, they get admitted. But with like bulimia, binge eating, they're still eating disorders, but sometimes you put weight on. Yeah, but what I mean is, though, she's do saying, oh, no, you need to get worse first before we can treat you. How fucking backwards is that, by yeah. the way? People are saying, I am struggling now. I'm at the worst I've ever been. I need help. Oh, you're going to have to wait a couple more weeks until you get a bit skinnier. Yeah. It's a bit worse. Well, it's like that girl who said to me on social media when I shared mine quite recently. She was like, it's absolutely like diabolical that you share a picture, like showing your abs and that you're in shape and have an eating disorder. This is the, this is the problem. I was like, you need to leave. I was like, no one... As like a lot of athletes have eating disorders, like you've just like completely fit shamed me, and you've heightened the fact that you're saying an eating disorder has a specific body type. More people with unbelievable physiques need to be talking about it yeah. because these are the people that people are looking up to, thinking I need to get that. And the same, I used to post pictures sometimes when I had the eating disorder, and I look incredible, and people were like you look sick, bro, and you look amazing, and this was fueling me more. And fair enough, I hadn't opened up and spoke about it. But this was just driving me to want to continue to get leaner and leaner. And when I started opening up and talk about it, it helped people relate a lot more because I felt like a I felt like a fraud as a coach. I had this thing and I had this disorder that I wasn't talking about. I was in great shape, and people were telling me how good I looked. But really deep down, I was I was struggling really bad. And it, it happened even I put a post up of a transformation. I, I put a post about a picture up of when I had an eating disorder and I was mega lean. And I put like, this is what was actually happening. People think that I looked healthy and fit, but I wasn't. Yeah. I wasn't healthy and fit at all. I was talking about on the post and I still got people posting it going, look sick, bro. You haven't even read the fucking caption. Wake up. Yeah. Literally. I, do you remember I used to get that when uh, particular people had like bot accounts yeah. posting comments for them. I was like, you need to read the caption before you make a comment. Um, I think just on that, because I put, put it on one of the posts and you were talking about before of like, symptoms of some eating disorders so i was at a point as well where i'd i'd had bloods done because that was the only thing that gp actually did was mm. suck my, my bloods and my hba1c levels which is, i think something to do with your glucose levels in your blood which is what helps identify diabetes, diabetes. i was at a point where i was pre-diabetic yeah i remember you saying that and i was like oh my god it still that didn't even scare me though to the, no, no. to stop it, it didn't it, that's why fear mongering doesn't work it doesn't, I didn't want to do stuff because it helped me stop doing something. I wanted to be better at something. Yeah, definitely. And I just, at that point, I just didn't even, 
and like so going back to the point of when we were at the bottom of your bed I didn't know what to do you do you feel so zapped of energy mm-hmm. like mentally and physically and I think it's important that me and Ben talk about not treatments because we can't advise just all experience with it on again. your yeah. on your specific treatments um but there was actually a stat that i pulled out that was really shocking and in recent years there's been a lack in the number of treatment facilities for eating disorders where there were reportedly approximately 1500 beds available in the country which is absolutely shocking so is that again 1500 beds available for what eating disorders what in the whole country in the country however it's important to note that it's improving but 1500 beds for with eating disorder facilities just seems completely when you see an admission rate of 66 percent increases that is not going to cut it at all is it no not not at all obviously does give some hope that it says it's improving with treatment facilities and with eating disorders if you think someone else is suffering or you yourself are suffering, it is so important to go and speak to someone. And it, I think it's quite difficult because as Ben said, when he went to a GP, the, I don't know if they're all qualified. I wouldn't, with I wouldn't not go to a GP because this, by the way, because I think you can't... You have to it. go to a GP yeah, first. You can't tarnish every, every GP is the same. Like there'll be... Other yeah. GPs who will have a better understanding of it. So I'd advise people to go and speak to the GP, the first probably protocol, or speak to someone about it. Yeah. Because I think the first hurdle is being honest with yourself and knowing that you have it and speaking to someone about it as quickly as possible. Yeah, definitely. And it is advised that you do have to go to a GP because they can then refer you. I think that you have to get referred. Yeah. I think obviously you can go directly to private clinics and things like that as well. But it is recommended by the NHS. And a lot of the research that myself and Ben have read is that you do go directly first to your GP and then they will advise you on the next steps and the treatment and what needs to be done. And as Ben said, even speaking to someone about it, you'll you'll feel a lot better and you'll feel like you've got a weight off your shoulders. Yeah, I think then, so following on for like me in that period and then Lucy did the same. Because I didn't get the support from the GP and I wasn't going to get a referral or anything like that. I then went and seeked out other alternatives myself. And I think the last straw for me was, and the last option that I had was therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I signed up to a therapist. So I had a therapist all through 2020. I've only just recently stopped seeing her. Yeah, get, I've seen one now. <laughs> and you're seeing one now. Not so, for an eating disorder, yeah. by the way, though, guys. Yeah, so I, when I first went into it, I was a little bit because I think there's a stigma around it as well I think people go to therapists that have always been looked at as like oh there must be something wrong with you then yeah I think and I think it should be the opposite I think if you're dealing with something or you feel like something's sparking off like with health and fitness you'd like to think a lot of people would look after the health and fitness so they don't become physically unwell or obese or whatever it may be I think the same with mental health like we need to be proactive rather than reactive with it so seeing a therapist is a is a good thing and should be seen as a positive because you're doing something to better yourself and to put yourself and protect your mental health as well. It's the same with a personal trainer. You don't just go to a personal trainer because somebody looks at you as being medically ill. You go for a personal trainer for help and to have a coach and, and to have accountability yeah. and things like that. It's the same with your mental health. You go for accountability to to talk to someone, to have a coach, to be coached through something. 
It's yeah. the same thing. It's just your brain and your body. I think for me, going into, uh, again, CBT, just for people who know what I mean, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, and this is one of the big things I went into for a while. And we outlined through mine that it was it was almost like um, self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. So just for people who don't know what that means, like self-sabotage is when you actively or passively take steps to prevent ourselves from reaching our goals. And this behavior can be in effect nearly every aspect of your life, uh, be it a relationship, a career goal, or a personal goal, such as weight loss. And one of the hallmarks of self-sabotage and fear is of intimacy is the, the inability to talk about your feelings and your problems. And that's something that I always struggled with. Mm. And you avoid taking um, about these things because talking means that you are feeling. Yeah. And you want to avoid feelings and avoid this at all costs, which is something that was big for me. So um, sh- my therapist was kind of explaining it as like self-sabotage is almost like self-harm and use like a knife analogy. So it's like for someone who sits there and uses a knife on the wrists, again, a really horrible thing. But I was almost using like the eating disorders, like the same thing. So it was like self-harm. So they get a, a release yeah. from it. So you get like with drug takers, you get a real big high, then you get a real big low, and then you get a real big high and a real big low, and it goes up and down, up and down. And that was similar to me, like the eating. So I get a, a massive high from the, the eating and a massive low straight after it. Mm-hmm. I was up, down, up, down, up, down with it. Um, but I went through like several th- techniques with therapy of CBT, EFT, which is emotional freedom techniques, meditation, um, and all different stuff which tried to help me. And it did help me in other aspects of my life. And it did help, like it's from going from like twice a week, it went to like once a week, and then it was going to like once a month. So it did stop a, a lot. But then I went through certain periods of, of life again where it'd pick up. More, more so when you felt emotional. I feel. Yeah, so therapy did help. It definitely did give me tools, and it definitely helped me in other areas of life that I wasn't focusing on, like morning routine and um, my emotional responses to stuff, and yeah. um, the way that I process certain things in a day, the way I react to certain things in a day. Um, it definitely did help, but def- I don't think I could say that it cured me completely. And I think that's the thing that I'll always have those disordered eating tendencies mm. there, and that's why I have to be careful what I'm doing with my diet and what I'm doing with my health and fitness and and what I'm doing with my goals because. Again, I don't think any person who's in the midst of an eating disorder should be dieting, by the way. You should not be dieting. No, you don't. You don't need it to It makes things all. worse. Yeah, it does for sure, massively. And I don't know, did you want to touch on your therapy or? Mm, not really, just because my therapy is related to... No, the, well, going back, you were therapy wasn't, a long time ago. Wasn't that what to do with That wasn't answer? for the eating disorder, that okay. was for my anxiety. Okay. Which again, yeah. now I'm getting therapy for just like obsessive behaviors that sounds bad just like weird things and anxiety yeah. which i think is absolutely great i've had two sessions and it is freaking incredible would recommend yeah i absolutely think absolutely love it so on that i would i would definitely recommend people to go and seek out a therapist and speak to a therapist i think it does help to have even to have someone to professionally listen to you and advise you on it is is great and it, a lot of people react differently to it and there's no you can't give time frames of like how long do you think it'll over to overcome how how did you overcome it because everyone's experiences are going to be so individual to them and what they're they're doing i can though advise you on like uh, two things that really 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 help me the, the two two things that really help me and i think this is, is important to listen to because i think for a lot of people therapy is financially undoable because it, it's not the cheapest thing in the world. Not everyone has that much money to spare to something. It is really expensive. That's the one thing that I'm just a bit like, 
God, not, I wish it was more accessible. That's why people are waiting for those referrals because not everyone can afford it, which is, I think is the sad thing for people who need that help. I'm not saying therapists should be charging less money because they're, they're, they're great people who are qualified to do that job and that role and they, they deserve that financial reward. So I'm not saying that at all. It's just not doable for everyone to go and be able to do it off their own back and that's why a lot of people wait for those referrals. Mm-hmm. Um, but two things that massively helped me, um, a book called Brain Over Binge. I can't, can't find that book enough, by the way, for, yeah. for how, how much did that help me? Yeah, it did massively. And I think the thing that you have to do, you have to take action steps from it. You can't just read it and go, oh, now I'm going to be cured. You have to take action steps from it and really try and engage and connect with the, the stuff that's in the book. Like, even for me now, like, last night, I wanted to get up and eat. I had these cravings to get up and eat, which mm-hmm. happen every now and again. But I've come to this point like with my mindset now and with my thinking and and taking myself outside my body almost and thinking about when i'm in those positions i'm a lot stronger now at dealing with those habits and those tendencies and i can kind of push push them aside so don't get up and do it anymore Mm. um so that book was really good Uh, i know the the writer of the book and the author of the book also has a podcast as well which is is probably helpful for a lot of people yeah um the other thing i did was remove myself from dieting completely and um i signed up with a coach so although, although I'm a coach myself and Lolo is a coach, having the accountability from somewhere else is great. Yeah. And the one thing that I said I want my goal to be was to be able to um, push my calories up, come onto maintenance calories, into a surplus, have more freedom of choice of food, and just enjoy my training again. And having that accountability there and having that stuff taken away from me where I was setting my own calories because I couldn't, I, like we spoke before with deficits, I struggled with that psychological path of, coming away from a deficit and into normal calorie intake and having someone else sometimes to do that and take away and take that away from you and help you implement better health markers in your life and take the focus away from being as lean as possible and being in good a shape as possible and just getting into health markers are focused on sleep, focused on water, focused on a good calorie intake, focused on having good energy, focused on performance, focusing on like getting outdoors a little bit more. Like they all massively help. Yeah, I agree. So they're, they're two things that really, really helped me. I'm not saying they're gonna help for everyone, they definitely had a big impact on on um overcoming eating disorder and again like i would classify myself as i've got past it now but I still have tendencies and i think i will always have tendencies for the rest of my life and that's why i have to be careful with diet and i have to be careful with my practices and, and what i'm implementing in my own life yeah that's obviously just when you become aware you you just you know the awareness is a big you thing. You know yeah. your ticks, you know your emotions. I don't eat freaking pizza and I have it in like six years. I'm not bothered. <laughs> I just don't care. It's just something for me that like it just more so it just brings back a bit of trauma. I just don't eat Domino's pizza. I'm the same with Domino's pizza because I do one of those dickhead things that a lot of people do on YouTube when I first started it. I did that ten thousand calorie challenge. Yeah. And then do you know what I did, which is even more idi- idiotic? Burn off the ten thousand Burn off the ten thousand calories. Like that yeah. is just promoting binge eating and bulimia yeah definitely I'm, I'm ashamed that i actually did that as well yeah i've never done i yeah i was never in the right mindset when i started youtube to do that anyway yeah that's what but, i did and that's why i hated pizza from after that because i did it as part of that video and i'm not eating pizza really well like domino's style pizza since yeah i think that that likes you don't want to cut foods out and things like that like i still have pizza but it's like fresh and it's like lovely and they like pizza express but people always have triggers love it but domino's no, no. Yeah, Just people, people have triggers. Do you know what, for me, like, I didn't eat pasta for a long time. Oh, I love pasta. Yeah, but last two weekends we've had it. And that was a big thing for me. Like, no joke, that was a big thing for me. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. But we and... made it fresh. We made it from fresh ingredients. We enjoyed doing some cooking. Um, 
I made fresh pasta and I proper enjoyed it. Yeah. Like, I haven't had pasta, Massively. no joke. I don't think I've had pasta for five years. No, well, I mean, I've definitely had it before that, but... I don't think I have. Oh, well, it's a good job. You're good as such a good chef. Well, I did, did food pasta. tech GCSE. Um, One of the things I had to cook was pasta, so... Yeah, it, well, it is pretty great. You can go onto um, both of our TikToks if you actually want to see that recipe. But we actually are so happy we did and we spoke about what we did in today's podcast because... I think a lot of people will pick up a lot of things on here and even if it just like maybe makes you kind of look at where you're where you're at with your diet with your life if you do have an eating disorder if you are struggling it might um help you open up to speak to someone to to go and seek medical advice speak to a family member speak to a partner speak to a sister or brother we just hope we've helped in that way and in a couple of months to come we will be qualified to, to give further oh, yeah, advice so, yeah. we, are, we are doing a, 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 for just to I know we spoke about previously we're doing a, a course in disorder eating um, which is going to be a process I think we're doing part one of level three um, mm-hmm. of um, so we'll be qualified then to advise people on it so if, I think it's important that we have this experience and we can talk about it but we categorically cannot advise you yeah. um, and hopefully in a few months time we'll be able to uh, be able to give that advice to people um, along with our experience and I think it's important for us to just touch on this podcast about, um, I think what this will help with is p- maybe re- help people recognize that they have this disorder and help mm-hmm. them talk about it. But I also, ha- number two, hope that it helps people see that it, there's a difference between just overeating and then an eating disorder. Because yeah. I think a, a lot of us overeat sometimes on the weekends and don't mistake that for an eating disorder because it quite can quite often happen. So don't scare yourself and thinking, oh, I've got an eating disorder. Yeah. Because I get that question quite often, like, have I just overeat or do I have an eating disorder? I don't know. Like I can't, I couldn't tell you. It's up to you to kind of look at the the definitions, I suppose, and don't categorize yourself when you maybe don't have an eating disorder and get yourself worried and panicked about yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really important. I think the other thing it's important to look out for people who may have eating disorders or maybe binge eating, because even though you you might not have it, I think it's important for you to spot friends or family um, that may be falling into the trap because it's it's not a nice thing. And maybe looking out for people who are over exercising people who are skipping meals quite frequently, people who are now wearing baggier clothes than what they wear before, mm-hmm. people who are, um, I know we don't have as much of it at the moment, but people who act- actively avoid social occasions because they don't want to eat certain types of foods, people who are going through extreme weight loss, people who are eating secretively, um, people have certain fears of food. Um, they're probably all just like things and signals and signs to look out for sometimes. Um and to be more aware of um, so that people can get the help that they need. Yeah, definitely. I don't have any to add to that. That's all of them covered that I would suggest anyway. Yeah, I think the the other really important thing to do is, and there's a lot more of it about with social media at the moment, with pages, there's websites, there's phone numbers you can call. Um, some of these, just I've made a couple of notes of them, is, is the Beat Charity. Um, there is Yeah, there's the, I think it's, I don't know if I wrote it down. I'm sure it's the BAR Foundation, BAR Foundation. Um, there is Young Minds. Mm-hmm. There's Rethink. There's uh, Beating Eating Disorders. What I'll, what I'll do is, and with the podcast, we'll we'll put all these links in the show notes and we'll put them all on the YouTube. Just so if anyone's actually struggling with anything and they need to get professional health, we'll point help. We'll point you in the right direction so that you can get in contact with the people you need. So all these links will be in in descriptions um if you want to look on that website and want to get more information and more detail about some of these things that we spoke about today from people who are in the position to better advise you and professionally advise you on these sort of sort of things as well 
Yeah, definitely. And you know what? If you do feel like you need help, don't be scared to open up. And I guarantee you will feel far better, whatever yeah. your circumstance. I think just to, to, to realise, and even from taking what me and Lucia said today, that there is a happy place at the end of it and you will overcome it. Um, and you will go through that journey and get to the other side and be happy again. Because I think the feeling that you have and may have right now is that I'm never going to get over this. I hate myself. It's annoying. It's frustrating. I can't live my life normally because it's always, it's always occurring. There is, there is an end to it. Um, you've got to be willing to take some some action with it. And I know it's hard to overcome that first hurdle of admitting it and talking about it. But once you overcome that, it will leave massive pressure and it'll be the start of the, the journey for you to, to overcome it. And like I was saying about with mine, I had scenarios where it was, I was like having it once a week, then it was only happening once a month and then it only happened once in six months. But it's not like an on and off switch. It's a, it's a scale and an average. And just because you haven't done it for six months and it happens doesn't mean that you're back into the routine of it happening again. Again, look at it like on averages, like how many times has it happened in the last couple of months? How many times has it happened this year? Is it getting less and less? Okay, well, you're overcoming it. But it's not, it's just, it's like, it's like a relapse. It's not that you're going back into that disorderly in. It's just knowing again and picking up on, on triggers and stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. So thank you so much for listening or watching guys wherever you are in the world and as always for sharing and leaving a review. We really, really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, if um, if anyone wants to write anything or has any questions, again, for those who are watching on YouTube because this new season is, is now on the YouTube channel, not so fickle podcast, you can leave questions there. If you want to leave any comments on um, Apple iTunes and reviews, um, we'd really appreciate you if you've enjoyed this podcast and if you've taken anything away from it or if it's even helped you. It'd mean a lot to me and Lucy both personally if you could just leave um, a review and, and five stars on there as well. And we really appreciate that time. Again, if you've enjoyed the podcast or you want to leave us a message, then you can tag us on Instagram at Lucy Davis Fit, uh, at my coach Benji or at the My Coach School. And um, yeah, we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, we'll catch you in next week's episode. Bye, Bye guys. guys.